for my last interview of, uh, of this month, I've asked my good friend Andy Pierce to come on up here. So Andy, uh, let's give him a nice golf putt uh, <clears throat> encouragement there. Uh, is it, do we, have any, we had a wide variety of people. We've had Kathleen Meyer. We've had Brent Harriman, uh, snooty little seminary man. We've had uh, we had Sherry Hogue with an amazing story last week, and now we've got Andy Pierce. And let me just tell you, where's my? Uh, I've got my questions in my Palm Pilot here. Uh, Andy Pierce uh, and I really kind of met uh, back on a Fall Creek Falls trip when he was in junior high, and uh, and I remember that I really kind of liked the guy because uh, we were in a McDonald's and. He was telling some story to the table. Were you like thir you were 13? He's telling some story to the table, and they're all just, ah, Andy, we've heard that a million times. And Andy says, loud enough for the restaurant to hear, but they haven't heard it. <laughs> and uh, I thought, that's a guy I like, you know? And so now it's pretty cool to see Andy grown up and bigger than me, and we've camped a couple times, and I mean, it's just, it's been a neat thing. But one of the things that we share is the area of worship. Uh, on Thursday nights, Andy, we have strummed guitars together many, many, many times. And I think in many ways, uh, we've grown up together in the area of worship. Uh, back on, uh, well, I'll let you kind of talk about some of the stuff that we were playing on retreats. But let me say this. Andy, how has your view of worship <laughs> changed over the years? Uh, well, I used to think it was just a filler, just something to take up time during the service. But uh, over the years, I've learned that that's not at all what it is. It's also something the style is not so important. I know a lot of people put emphasis on style, and that's not what important. What is important, but what is important is uh, that we're seeing God-centered lyrics that are true. Also, um, by the grace of God, I've learned that it's something that's biblically commanded and something we're to enjoy, and uh, not just to lengthen the service. All right, tell us about Gilligan's Island. And we did. When we were at Fall Creek Falls in eighth grade, Jim had us sing a Gilligan's Island and Brown Eyed Girl. So. I, was, I did not have them singing Brown Eyed Girl. Uh, I happened to be there. They had this stuff on the overhead. But uh, I had never known before that trip that you could fit Amazing Grace into the Gilligan's Island song. I don't know if you knew that. But Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And if you want to ruin a hymn, uh, do that to it. Uh, but anyway, as I say, uh, we've both come a long way. All right, Andy. <laughs> Define worship. What is it? Well, actually, I learned just this week that uh, worship actually comes from worship, and because when we sing in song or worship in song, we're actually singing about the worth of God. Good answer. All right. Now you know that Andy. Uh, not only does he uh, lead worship with me, but he leads worship with RUF on uh, Univers University of Memphis campus. He also, when he leaves here, he's going to go straight to junior high and lead some of your children in worship. So he is every bit, and you've seen him on Sunday morning uh, in big church when we have youth choir up there and, and other things. And uh, so he's a, he is a worship leader. What is going through your head, Andy? What are you trying to accomplish when you're up there leading whomever you're leading? When I first started playing guitar, I just didn't want to mess up. But <laughs> That's me every Sunday. <laughs> but as I've become more comfortable leading worship, I know when you do something every week, it can tend to become boring or routine. But uh, it's not. that's not at all what it is. It's something we're going to enjoy doing for, for eternity. And so it's far from boring or routine. Um, also, I don't want the focus to be on me leading or on the songs we're singing. I want the focus to be on the glory of God um, through the songs we sing, but not on the focus to be on God, not on the songs. 
right. Excellent. And my last question, where do you, where would you like to see Grace of Ann Church uh, in the next four or five, ten years? Where, how, how would you think that we should proceed? Uh, I'd like to see us as a whole, um, people who don't dwell on those around us as we worship, not worried what others think. I, I'm guilty of that all the time. Um, but I'd like to see it, you know, if somebody wants to worship by raising their hands or closing their eyes or singing really loud like Dr. Young, that <laughs> that's okay. And uh, I'd just like to see us all become much more passionate as we worship. All right. My good friend and brother, Andy Pierce. How about Andy Pierce? Thanks, buddy. Good job. All right. Um, let me wait till he leaves the room. <clears throat> But let me just say, isn't that refreshing? Um, take your Bibles, please, and open to Psalm 84. <clears throat> Psalm 84, and we'll start in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God and Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. And let's pray again. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want you to fill in the blank. What goes there? Gladness. You are correct. We are to serve the Lord with gladness. That's Psalm 100. Uh, the NIV would have uh, worship. They would render that worship the Lord with gladness. You're correct. But there's another verse. And there's another word that goes there. Serve the Lord with... What, what's the other one? Does anybody know? 
Okay? There might be. But the one I'm thinking of is this. It might surprise you. Isn't that interesting? And, it, and it's only the first half of the sentence. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with what word would go there? You know what the word is? Trembling. Don't you find that interesting? That we, we are to serve with fear and, and <laughs> rejoice of all things with trembling. Could there be a more profound marriage between rejoicing and trembling? Don't you find that to be intriguing? And don't you find that to be something that is very telling of the person of our God? I think it would do uh, the kingdom well if every church leader and church planter and pastor and parishioner and deacon and elder could, could, could put that word there and that word there. Because it says so much about who our God is and so much about this whole issue of worship and what we are supposed to be doing in a worship service. I've got basically two points today. You know, this is the last, uh, last Wednesday night in this, uh, this series on worship in, in uh, August. I've got two points, and I'm kind of combining them because I think they go hand in hand. The first point I've got is that we are, we're going to look at form and tone. We're going to look at what's supposed to go on in a worship service. And the second point I've got is, is a, a grander point, which is we live our whole life under the watchful gaze of God. Our whole life is, our whole reason for being is this matter of worship. Well, there is a controversy, I think you know. I was just talking to David Harbour about this today. There's a controversy about different kinds of worship services and what kinds, what should we, we do this or should we do that? And I've got with me a couple of pictures and you see that I've, I've carefully guarded the name of the, I got these sent in the mail, okay? I don't want you to know who sent it to me and, and all that stuff. I'm not trying to slam another church, but I'm showing you pictures of what I think is the knee-jerk reaction this way or this way. Here you've got, I like the choir, all right? I'm respectable. And then you've got Mr. Freaky Goatee Man with the guitar. And for effect, and listen, I, I analyze things to death. He's got a rip on his shirt down there, you know, just so you don't miss how far over here it is, you know. And over here, you've got the same deal. I like the choir. And you've got another guy with a goatee. By the way, it's the same guitar. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you have even a cursory awareness of the world around you, you know that there's a controversy in the area of worship, and it runs much deeper than, than just worship itself. Namely, uh, the, the whole inner workings of churches are in turmoil, and they're trying to determine where we stand and who we are and all that kind of stuff, uh, church planting and church growth and all that. And I, I wonder, uh, I wonder if there isn't often a a dismissal or a, even a backburner of the, the whole notion of what saith Scripture. And I, listen, I'm not, in, I'm not in session meetings in private room. I'm not. But that's a reality. Those pictures, that whole, that whole 
you know, tension is a reality. And I wonder how many people pour over Scripture more than they read George Barna books, more than they read uh, books about church planting and how we can, you know, get to this demographic group and all that kind of stuff. You know, the, the first thing needs to be, what does God want? <laughs> and what, what saith he in his word? Um, you know, our, our building committee, we're about to build this, uh, this uh, new sanctuary. And uh, you know what our building committee did for the first two meetings? And listen, there have been meetings galore. Meetings, 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 meetings. Uh, all kinds of meetings. You know what the first two building committee meetings were? An analysis of our core values and our mission statement. You know, our core values. And, you know, in a sense, it's almost a, a miniature confession of faith, you know. These things are important to us because these scripture verses say these, this about these things. And so the first two building committee meetings are, let's look at our core values, let's look at God's word, and let's pray. Do you find that to be comforting? I do. I wasn't in those meetings, by the way. But I find that to be very comforting, that when we're talking about spending all kinds of money and getting a campaign together to build this thing, the very first thing we do is say, Lord, we submit ourselves to you, and we want to, we want to scour your word and find out what is the right thing and what is the right motive. Well, that said, for the common man, uh, worship typically falls into two different categories. You've either got uh, contemporary or traditional. You've got, uh, some people will call it high church. Well, look at them, they're high church. And, of course, people in high church are going, well, look at them, they're low church. I mean, that sounds even worse. You're low church, you know. Or you might have um, uh, formal or informal. Informal is a word I'm seeing on all kinds of media that's going out. We're informal, come on in. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, those are entirely subjective terms, aren't they? Because traditional in 1820 means something completely different than traditional in 2007, as well as the year 826. So does the word contemporary. So does formal and informal. So these terms, these are not scriptural terms. There are things that we have made up and impose on what we tend to like. Uh, perhaps one of the greatest compliments I ever got was, uh, you play bar songs. Well, what, you, what, what, that, what that does is it puts me in the category with Martin Luther, the great reformer, who was, you know, you can almost see the beer stein swinging. You know, and, you know, that was contemporary. You know, now it's traditional. All I'm saying is that all that is so subjective. And so what we have to do is say, what saith scripture? And, of course, the problem is that nowhere in Scripture does it say, here's how you do a church service. You know, uh, we have the handshake, uh, uh, the handshake, I can't find the handshake, and then, uh, then Jimmy gets up and prays, and we, I mean, the, nowhere in Scripture does it spell that out for us. But there are components. We know, for instance, in the New Testament church that there was prayer. We pray? Yes. We know in the New Testament church that there was praise. Uh, we are told in Colossians 3.16, we're told in Ephesians also, that we are to speak to uh, one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. By the way, I love hymns. I have a hymnal collection. I rewrite the music to hymns. But I don't dare point my finger at things that aren't hymns because they're spiritual songs. And we're supposed to, to, to join with one another and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs.
that took place in the New Testament church, we do that too. Here's another component. The Psalter. What's the Psalter? It's the Psalms. They would often sing the Psalms. Uh, many of the Psalms, if you just, if you just, all, all you have to do is just flip through the Psalms, you'll see that it'll say, to the tune of such and such. Or it'll call it a maskil, or whatever that is. It's some kind of musical term, or literary term, or something. But it's a, it's a genre of a song. And so they would sing in the, in the New Testament church the Psalms. We do that. We're going to sing one Sunday. Uh, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Remember that? That's Psalm 143. It's two verses in Psalm 143. We sing the Psalter. It's good that we do that. Also, we know that in the apostolic age, that a component in a modern, in, in, a, in, a, in an authentic, I should say, <laughs> worship service was the Lord's Supper. You know, when we partake, you know, one of the things that I love that Jimmy says is he'll say, uh, he, he said it twice now. I think he said it the last time. Something like, take big chunks. Y'all remember him saying that? Uh, and he said it a couple years ago, too. And I started, two, I've been taking big chunks for two years now. Take big chunks. And I'll rip off a hunk of that bread. My wife's looking at me like, are you nuts? You know, I, I've got this big chunk of bread. But ladies and gentlemen, you know, you hold this symbol in your hand and you feel it. And you smell uh, the fermentation that wafts up to your nose. And, and uh, you, you pray over it. And you take a bite and you chew it and you swallow it. And you feel it go down your gullet. And... And, and there's this, this symbol that so vividly displays the broken body of Jesus. And every time the cup is passed me, I take it and I, I move my fingers away from it and I look at it and, I, and I, I remark how much it looks like blood. You know, I hold it in the light before I close my eyes and pray and I think that looks like blood. You know, the blood that was shed for me, the blood that ran down the body of the Savior, down a cross into the dirt the blood that bought me. And we have this very real symbol in our hand. We partake of the Lord's Supper. They did that too. That's a part of authentic worship. You have all these components that are spelled out for us in, in Scripture. But after that, the worship service is pretty much left up to the prayerful consideration and the Holy Spirit's guidance in, in, in a certain particular collection of people. Um, you know, folks... Um, I've got, if you ever visit another church, please bring me a bulletin uh, because I collect them. And uh, I just, it, it's amazing to me how, how different they all are, like this one. And that's a big one. Uh, this one, we got down in Destin, Florida uh, at Safe Harbor Presbyterian Church. And it's so tiny. And I mean, there are like, I, th I think there were five people in the choir. They had robes and everything. I mean, it was just the sweetest little experience. We were on vacation. We, did, we went to two churches that morning, and this was one of them. I was, in sh I was the only one in shorts. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's their, their little humble uh, bulletin. And then you've got this one. Look at this one. I got this one in Boston. It's a book. It's huge. And this one, I mean, I, this, this is, looks like a menu. You know, it's like we have cedar salmon on a plank and, uh, you know, spiced apple chutney. Uh, it looks just like... But oh, my point is that there are all these different ways... And we have our own way, too. In today's day, you hear of people saying, we, we like liturgy, we don't like liturgy. We like formal, no, we're informal. And the truth is that liturgy is the form of worship. All churches are liturgical. All of them. All churches are formal because we all have a form. 
You know, it's kind of like salespeople. Uh, I don't like to use a script when I sell. I don't like to use a script. I just like to talk to the customer. Well, you know, do the same presentation 15 times. Guess what you got? A script. <laughs> and this is how I sell a municipal bond. Uh, and and uh, same thing about the Seinfeld show. You know, what was that show about? It's a show about nothing. Remember that? Well, it's got to be about something. It's got to have some kind of form. It can't just be a black screen. My point is, you have never been in a church service in your whole life that haven't, hasn't had some kind of form or liturgy, and this is one of them. We have a form and a liturgy. We have a way about doing things. Now, we shy away from those words, formalism. We don't like it because we hate stilted, uh, fake, uh, empty type, you know, rote activity. We hate it. And so did Jesus. You know, Jesus, uh, he, he points his finger and he uses the words hypocrite. He's talking about, you know, look, you're white on the outside, nice and, you know, painted, whitewashed. Inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You're hypocrites. You're actors. You're going through motions, and God hates it. The Old Testament prophets, you know, they talked about uh, heart righteousness. They talked about a people whose uh, lips honored God, but their hearts were far from God, didn't they? But, you know, they weren't revolutionaries. They were reformers. And they didn't come in and say, what you guys need is a new church service. Their point was, God views the heart. The complaint of the people, uh, God against the people was a matter of the heart. Well, all that to say, when you hear people talk about liturgy or form, or when somebody asks you, what kind of church do you go to? I mean, what's it, what do you, what, when they say, what kind of church do you go to? That you're, if it's not denominational, they're, they're speaking of, you know, what happens there? I mean, do you people raise their hands? Are they strumming? Is there an organ? Is there a choir loft? They're talking about all those kinds of things that have an impact upon the emotions of the worshiper, aren't they? Well, folks, I want to talk about uh, a dangerous topic, which is emotions. I have many, many times said that, that we are not to be controlled by our emotions. We are not to be governed by anything but the Holy Spirit of God. And when you're in a, if you've ever seen a church service where it's gotten emotionally out of control, you can tell when a line has been crossed, can't you? Uh, we are not to be governed by emotions. But on the positive side, I tell you that God made the intellect, but he also made the emotions. He also made us to be a feeling people, a people who well up with love, a people who are passionate, a people who take delight in hugging their wife or their parents or their children or their dog. I mean, a people who are to take delight in watching a hummingbird fly into their presence. You know, you hear that, and you go, I mean, it just delights your heart to see God's fingerprints on that. He made us an emotive people. Um, notice, you know, if you were to ask Jimmy what his book is, Jimmy, in the Bible, what's your book? What would he say? Do you know? What would he say? Bill. Romans. Romans is my book. It's our book. He loves Romans. Well, let me tell you, Romans is full of Paul's doctrine spelled out in a way that is just as, as concise and refined and articulate as anything you'll find in Scripture. And Paul is a thinker, and we love to be thinkers. We're thinkers at this church and all that stuff. But, you know, you get to the end of Romans 11, and Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has ever been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul's a thinker. Do you think that he wells up with passionate emotion over who God is? I think he does. He breaks into doxology in the middle of doctrine. What about the wisdom literature? You know, in Psalm, turn to Psalm 1 if you would. You know, Psalm, when you're hurting and you don't know what to do, and you don't know where to turn, you don't know where to begin, where do you usually go? The Psalms. Then you go to wisdom literature because there's something about poetry that vibrates. There's something about poetry that speaks to you in a unique way. God understands this. And that's why uh, much of the Bible is penned this way. But look at Psalm 1, verse 1. Uh, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Do you see the logic of the psalmist? I mean, there's emotion too. Uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord. But do you see that even in wisdom literature that we tend to think is so emotive, logic is spelled out about who God is, what is acceptable to him, how he must separate himself from the wicked, and how they will be jettisoned from him like, like husks of wheat in the wind. <laughs> and even in our passage today, I mean, uh, you can see logic laced even in through uh, wisdom literature. Scripture speaks a lot of the emotive life, a lot of joy and anxiety and sorrow and pain and fear and courage and love. Um, but in keeping with the Holy Spirit's sway, there's supposed to be a part of us that is enraptured, enraptured in who God is. I mean, it's a good thing for us to know lots of things about Scripture and know lots of things about who God is. But ladies and gentlemen, part of worship is being caught up in these things. Part of worship is, is finding yourself deeply in love with God and wanting to say it. Well, in our remaining time, I want to talk about what we're supposed to feel during a worship service. This is very scary territory. What are we supposed to feel? What are we supposed to be experiencing when we go into a worship service? Let me tell you, uh, Kathleen Meyer's not here, but uh, she and I, 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 she sent me a hymn and I sent her a hymn and I took issue with a lyric in a hymn that she sent me and I sent it back to her and she made a case against it and we've gone on for a couple days now discussing this particular line of this hymn. I mean, I like thinking through things. In fact, she won her point, but I said, okay, I win because I understand what you're saying now and that illustration really redeemed this hymn for me. Uh, I like thinking through things like that, but I'm telling you, I want to be passionate too. And we should be passionate. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews 12. We're going to look at several things here. 
Hebrews 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let me read you the King James Version. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You know, those are, those are, that's the first thing that we're supposed to be experiencing. If we feel anything in a worship service, it ain't supposed to be first and foremost giddy. First and foremost, the place to start is with this. We're supposed to serve the Lord with fear. We're supposed to worship the Lord with fear. We're supposed to rejoice with trembling. Yes, I'm glad of heart, but not without forgetting that he is a God to be greatly feared, that he's a consuming fire, that he's awesome. And let me tell you, it's, you know, you, you, people talk about the fear of the Lord, and there are all these little definitions about the fear of the Lord, and, you know, that it's, uh, it's reverence and awe, uh, and, uh, and that's true. Uh, but it's, it's very easy to confuse that with walking to the edge of the Grand Canyon and going, that is big. Okay, that's a fact. It's big. I'm in awe of this big thing. But concerning the, the one true God, the, the best definition I ever heard of, uh, I've ever heard of, uh, of, a, of a godly, holy fear is reverence and awe unto obedience. It's not just, you're big God, that's a big sky with lots of stars, and we're in awe. It's not just that. It's not just a sense of reverence where you, you put on your stained glass voice when you walk into the church. It's reverence and awe unto obedience, remembering that God means what he says, and in all that is wrapped up the issue of his son on the cross. He means what he says. Sin must be punished. And, and so it, it points us to the Savior afresh. Let me turn you to uh, Psalm 5. Verse 7, I, by your great mercy, will come into your house in reverence. Will I bow toward your holy temple? Listen to the King James Version of this. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear I will worship. You see that it never loses focus. The Bible never loses focus on the fact that we are to tremble in the presence of the Holy God. If you don't start there, you're in, you're in big trouble. It's what the heavenly beings do. You know, in the council of the holy ones, God is more awesome than all who surround him, and they bow and shield their faces in his glory. All right, what, are, what else are we supposed to know in a worship service? We're supposed to experience joy. We're supposed to be a people who are rejoicing. If you're still in the Psalms, go to Psalm 47. Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, 
all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. You know, Sherry read that, that I've read that letter that Sherry wrote uh, on Sunday morning, and, you know, we tend to want to just, isn't that lovely? And we're never sure if we should go after a song or not, you know? There's always that moment, you know, what does the Bible say? Clap your hands! You know, shout! Cry out! The Bible is not unclear that these are acceptable things in worship. Acceptable. Mandated. I've got one more for you that I'm going to have to tell our network uh, sponsors that we're running a little over, but turn to, turn to Zephaniah, if you would. Uh, find Matthew and go about ten pages to the left to Zephaniah chapter 3. Verse 17. Zephaniah 3.17. Listen to this. The Lord your God is with you. Listen. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now, can I just read the last three lines again? Because it's so easy to go, well, that's beautiful, and that's the Bible, and it's true. But listen to this. He will take great delight in you. You think about that. You know, well, but I'm so bad and I, I did all these things. And listen, you don't know point oh 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 one percent of it. He knows all of it. And in the shed blood of his son, cloaking our unrighteousness forever and ever, he looks at us and the one true God who is holy and dwells in a holy place takes delight in you, Christian. He will quiet you with his love. And listen, he will rejoice over you with singing. Have those thoughts passed through your head before? Do they pass through your head on a regular basis? It's amazing that, that the holy God would rejoice over you and me. He rejoices over us. I can't think of a, a more valid reason for us clapping our hands and shouting for joy and being a people who rejoice in our worship. He rejoices over us. What then should we do? Think about these things. What else should we know in a worship service? Faith. In, in, a, in a worship service, we, have, we should have a renewed sense of faith. A sense of expectancy welling up in our soul that God is able to do what he promised that he can do. We trust God to keep his promises and to meet with us and bless us and change us forever by his spirit. What else should we know? We should know his love. We should look at the people around us and well up with love for them. Well up with love for what God loves. Well up with love for our neighbor who is lost and outside this building jogging and whizzing by the street. What else should we know in a worship service? We should know boldness that we can approach the, the throne of God 
in Christ and through faith in Him with boldness and courage. We should sense a, a, a sense of intimacy one with another. When we look around and Oh, I don't want to mess up what I'm going to read Sunday morning, but I, I'm telling you, we, we can look at each other and say, we're in this together. We have tasted of grace. There's this intimate connection we have with each other that, that we can't have with someone outside of the kingdom. Those are elements that ought to be taking place in a worship service. There are things spelled out for us in Scripture that should occur, and by God's Holy Spirit and His guidance and prayerful consideration, we plan out an order of worship that is orderly, that contains these components, and then we as parishioners are to experience certain things that are scriptural. That is what a worship service should look like. And you notice that not one time in this whole month that I say, I think we ought to play this kind of music. I don't even want to think in those terms. And I think if we do, we make a big mistake. Does it contain these components? Are we going through these things spiritually. That's the essence of it, ladies and gentlemen. Last thing I want to say is this. Um, there, there's a, I'm not a sports guy. I hate, I'm sorry. I'm kind of a music guy. I'm a sports. I'm not a sports guy. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm at a sporting event and there's a big play and everybody's. Wah! I'm kind of like. Very nice, you know. I mean, it's not that I can't appreciate it. It's just that I can't get all, woo, I'm a big Gator fan. I'm a big, boo. you know, I just, I don't understand it. And uh, I just, I don't scream and cheer. And my wife has never, never seen me sit in front of a TV set and go, yeah, yeah. Never, <laughs> never. Uh, but let me tell you, I watch, I watch it happen. I watch. You know, the ball goes back and the ball gets thrown up in the air and the guy's running and then is he going to catch it and his fingers are barely there and he fumbles it and he grabs it and he falls. And I mean, the, the whole stadium, you know, 60,000 people just, ah! Tiger Woods hits this thing out of the sand and it goes up and it's, you hear the, ah! I mean, you can just pick event after event after event. Your kid's playing coach pitch, you know, and they can't hit it, and they finally get it, and you're just, wow, I can't believe they hit it. Ladies and gentlemen, God made us that way. He built us that way. That is a normal, rational response to something that thrills our heart. God built us that way. And I'll tell you this, this might sound scary, but the more orthodox I think I come, become when I study worship, the more orthodox I think I become in the, in the eyes of God, the more radical I think I become in the eyes of man. <laughs> I'll tell you something. I was reading a very conservative book by a very conservative Presbyterian author who called this thing. See what I'm doing, tapping my foot? You know how you're sitting there and for some reason your foot just starts tapping? You know what he called that? Dance. <laughs> that is dance. And this is dance just as much as is dance. <laughs> and he's saying that God built that into us. And I say to you, Christian, could there be a greater reason for us to stand up and shout? For us to sing with, with bellies that are 
belting out a song about God and his attributes and his dealings with us. It's more important than even your kid's coach pitch game. It's certainly more important than the Redbirds. Pray for our church. Pray that she would be a people who grow up and, and continue in, in Christian maturity, understanding that God built us a certain way and he built us with a certain purpose to worship him forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am the guiltiest one. I uh, find my heart clinging to things that uh, take your rightful place. I find my affections waffling. I know that my faithfulness uh, changes like the shifting sand, but you do not. And for that, I greatly rejoice. We do, Father. We pray that by your Holy Spirit's ministering, by your Holy Spirit's teaching, by that Spirit's power, he would show us just what is required of us to, to offer up something to you that is acceptable, something that wafts up the heaven and is a pleasing scent in your nose. We want it for us individually, for our families. We want it for our church. And we beseech you, Lord, hear us, teach us, show us what is acceptable, what is your good and pleasing and perfect will. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Enjoyed it very much.